Welcome to the Real Estate Ventures Podcast. In this podcast, we will be speaking with various real estate and business professionals about real estate investing, entrepreneurship, and financial freedom. So, if you're interested in learning about real estate investing, then stay tuned and be sure to take advantage of the free tips and strategies that will be shared by our weekly guests. And now, your host, Penny Lubinsky. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Real Estate Ventures Podcast. I am your host, Penny Lubinsky. Today, we have Greg Scully as our guest, and I'm really excited to get into a conversation about his real estate business and all about his journey. Um, Greg is a small business owner and retired after a 20-year career with Frito-Lay. He has been investing in real estate since 2016. Greg's ownership interests are over 350 units in Tennessee with a market value, value of $17 million. Greg and his business partner, Darren Light, also flip homes in the Knoxville, Tennessee area. Uh, Greg and his partner also have a podcast and they host a meetup. Greg, welcome to the show. Thank you, Penny. Good to see you again. Yeah, good to see you. Um, actually, a little bit ago, I was featured on your podcast and that one yep. just came out. So I'm excited about that. And I'm, I'm excited to get you back uh, on the Real Estate Ventures podcast. All right. So why don't you start out by walking us through what kind of led you down this path? What got you started in real estate? Um, it was largely just the desire to be entrepreneurial and start a business. Uh, you know, way back in the day, my, my father helped me kind of spark the entrepreneurial spirit right out of high school. He actually helped me buy an ice cream truck of all things that I, that I ran for a summer. And then, you know, we got a little bit older, Kim and I got married. We had children. We very deliberately decided to go the path of a single income household, which landed me into 20 years of W2 work, which was fine. Uh, uh, but there was quite a break in between uh, the first uh, small business to the second one. So then we jumped back into small business ownership with a small retail shop back in Alaska. Uh, that did not pan out too well. And so just continually looking for that uh, opportunity to have some, you know, self-determination and optionality. It, it led to a fan Merrill flip this house, you know, late night commercial that I, I went to uh, the initial little in-person meeting. And that, that was kind of the start of the rabbit hole real estate. Right. But one thing that's interesting that I want to touch on a bit is, you know, most of our guests um, have worked as an employee most of their life. And then they dream about this idea of, you know, passive income and being their own boss. Uh, it's a little different for you because you kind of had your own business and you've been, you know, self-employed how did like why did what how did you get to real estate from that like most people i kind of hear why they got into real estate but for you being self-employed and you know having your own business like why real estate um well it became the the function of of kind of the goal of, of what we wanted to do with our lives and what vehicle would it be so kind of working backwards from wanting to have some optionality with where we lived and how we worked you know uh, the, the retail business was fine. Obviously, uh, it's tied to a brick and mortar location that has to be manned by somebody uh, until that 
had a significant amount of scale that was going to be us. So, you know, just doing some basic research on the real estate and, and the passive income side of it that you, you, you could theoretically live in one market and invest in another uh, relatively easily. That was uh, in line with our objectives very long-term for the, you know, again, that optionality thing that I keep talking about. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. And then also as far as like scalability, I think real estate is just more scalable naturally relying on more team members and you can invest in different areas. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be like, I live here and this is exactly where I invest and this is all I'm capable of. Like you're, you're able to expand and grow exponentially a lot quicker um, because of that. I'm yeah. And like another side of it was just the, you know, the roles that people can play a women's clothing store, you know, I'm, almost the, you know, the creepy middle-aged man behind the counter. Why is that guy here? So <laughs> it's, <laughs> although, you know, I could put an outfit together as, as good as anyone, but uh, it, it, was, it just allowed, it seemed a little more democratized a bit that uh, roles could be filled by really anybody uh, because I think there's less of an expectation from the market. Okay. And then being a business owner previously, do you, do you feel like that helped you um, getting into real estate? Like those skills, the, that experience that you had, um, and then bringing that into multifamily and any other business, real estate venture that you're bringing, like that you're joining, like, does that, did that help you? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's something that people under estimate or downplay if they have prior business experience that there can be a lot of crossover. And there's, you know, very, fairly specific things you have to do for underwriting real estate, but things like, uh, you know, general bookkeeping practices, just the fact if you're an entrepreneur, how much of this falls on your shoulders to get things done or, you know, or your partner's shoulders. So just that general attitude of being able to take on work and muddle through and uh, the general mindset of, you know, this probably isn't going to be a Monday through Friday thing. Um, you know, we're very active. This is all we do now. So we're not really doing the passive income approach. We're active real estate owners, operators, soon to be managers. So yeah, yeah, just a lot of that uh, motivation, uh, perseverance, general business operating practices. Yeah, that stuff crosses over. Right. And I can, I can definitely relate with that because you know, I've never owned a business before, but now getting into real estate, it's like all of a sudden, um, instead of being an employee, like your everything falls on you. And, you know, especially starting out and you can't maybe afford to hire or delegate, you know, all the responsibilities or even some of them, um, every, you know, little detail falls on you, which like exactly like you said, like it's not really a Monday to Friday job. I mean, it's it's really any free minute or, you know, any yeah. available kind of job. Yeah, Wi-Fi in the airport. I mean, just exactly. whenever you got some downtime. So yeah, it's that scrappiness or grit, whatever the, the current buzzword is for. Got it, got for it. For that. And um, all right, I want to ask you a question that I haven't asked anyone yet because most people and, and most interviews, I feel like um, they kind of touch on the success and, and, and the pretty picture of real estate and how you know beautiful it is now and how amazing it is. Um, I'd like to ask you, were there any challenges or struggles that you faced building your portfolio or getting started? Like what, what was like the hardest thing you had to go through or compromise on? 
Oh, we had a very difficult first deal that we muddled through. It basically took two years. It went 100% vacant. We had contractor problems. We uh, had a, a partnership that had some struggles. Uh, we kind of had everything thrown at us for that. That's why I ended up in Tennessee was to help our main partner be boots on the ground and just kind of get through this thing. Ultimately, we sold it and we made a few bucks on it. Um, but yeah, it was extremely difficult and stressful, a lot of anxiety. Um, but we learned a whole lot and, you know, you just figure it out. You know, there was a lot of, let's just figure it out. Right. But it, but it, it sounds like it definitely wasn't like, a um, you know, a stroll in the park and it wasn't, oh, no. easy it wasn't at all. <laughs> right. Right. No. So that's just something I want to touch on and, and talk to, you know, just mention to the, the listeners, right. Cause this is geared towards people that are getting started or looking to get started. And people usually look at other people's, you know, finished product and they look at other people's portfolios and businesses and say, oh, wow, look where they are. And they don't realize um, that it wasn't always success from the beginning. Like it wasn't always like every single deal was a home run and everything went hundred percent smooth. And it was just all smiles and happy, easy, you know, easy, smooth sailing the whole time. Like, going through struggles, going through hardships to get the business started, especially, you know, on people's first deals, sometimes like they're not, they're not experienced really. And, and they don't really know exactly how to, you know, run every single part of everything. And that's why I guess, you know, working with you know, other more experienced team members is important, but I think everyone getting started needs to understand that, Hey, even if you go through hardships at first, it doesn't mean you can't be a successful entrepreneur and it doesn't mean you can't be a successful real estate investor down the road, it's normal and it's expected that not everything's going to go as planned. And the main thing is kind of like what you said, you learn from it, right? So now, you know, whatever, whatever it is that happened on that deal, you're going to do whatever you could now that that's in your possibility to make sure that doesn't happen again. And now that you, you have that experience. So I just wanted to, you know, point that part out right there. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's a long game. You know, you're not going to get rich off the first deal. Um, so, you know, be prepared for some bumps in the road. But, uh, you know, in, in, in most problems, I think there's an underlying fact that you're probably not the first person going through this. And there's people you can you can talk to and get guidance. So, I mean, that's where like a good network uh, comes in really handy. People you can lean on for helping to solve specific problems that they may not be directly in the deal. So you kind of get that uh, disinterested third party that uh, right. no, you know, can give you a good new perspective. Right. Absolutely. And yeah, the, the, the power of, of networking, I feel like for me, at least getting started has been, has been massive. I just feel like you can find like mentors all over the place and you can find people that have been down this, path, whatever it is in real estate that you're looking to accomplish, like I guarantee, you know, that, that there are people that have done that before and you, and they're probably yeah. living in your community too. So just going out, finding them, there's a lot of um, networking event, uh, networking events and masterminds uh, these days. So, you know, I definitely encourage everyone to go find your local one or even on Zoom. A lot of things are virtual nowadays. So being able to find your, your group, your support system and, and work from there. It really makes things a lot easier. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, networking has been huge for us. We, you know, we have our podcast, we have a meetup that is online and virtual. I think we met in like a LinkedIn 
networking room, if I remember correctly. So, um, you know, there's, there's a ton of knowledge out there. And for whatever reason, it seems like this industry is pretty good about sharing that stuff. Um, because, you know, I, you know, I'm down here in the Southeast, you know, you might be, your market might be Arizona, let's just say. And so we can chat about stuff and share knowledge because we're not necessarily competitors, but a, a lot of what we can talk about will, will apply to both of our businesses. It just seems like there's a, a lot less of the, oh, this person's going to take my opportunity if I you know, share some information about this deal I'm working on. I haven't really run into that. It's been a very giving community. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like so many people are, I, I know that a lot of people are a part of the GoBundance group, but like, I feel like that concept, that idea is something that a lot of real estate inv uh, investors understand and really work with, operate with. And I think a lot of it is also like, if you are strengthening other people, even in your market, they can end up partnering with you and your team could end up getting, becoming stronger because of them. You could end up, they can end up finding a deal for you or raising capital for you or underwriting a deal for you, or, or you know, even not to say that they're, that anyone that's helping anyone is doing it for selfish reasons, but there also can be benefit, even if you're in the same market. And I feel like a lot of people, a lot of investors really have that approach of just like, Hey, the abundance mindset. I believe there's enough out there for everyone. If we all get stronger, we all can do more deals and better deals. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, if I got something I can share and I got a resource, happy to give it. You make a good point. You know, we can get into it. Does anybody do anything truly altruistically, get philosophical about it? But I think generally speaking, if, if, if you're helpful and forthcoming and sharing information, there tends to be some uh, reciprocal, uh, from, from whoever you're sharing with at some point. So. Right. Um, all right. I want to, I want to dive into a little bit, like, how are you, how are you finding deals? Obviously, like we know, you know, the market's tough right now. It's a real seller's market and anyone that's underwriting deals sees that on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, you guys are still managing to get deals done. How, how are you doing that? How do you, how are you finding them? Um, most of them are still through brokers. We're, we're operating in a fairly specific area, central and eastern Tennessee. So we're not, you know, very widespread in, in what we're looking at. So a lot of it has come through brokers. Probably half of them have been fully marketed. Um, a couple of them have been still through brokers, but we've had the opportunity to preempt the full marketing process. And that's kind of the unfair advantage as you get more experience and you close a couple of deals, you know, brokers will push deals out to a smaller group and, and see if, you know, certainly we weren't the only person that was being talked to before it hit, you know, the internet. Um, so that, you know, that's nice when you, when you get to that point that you're getting, basically just first looks. I wouldn't say they're off market, but you're getting earlier look. Um, and then a few deals have just been through networking. You know, people in our meetup that said, hey, I got this going on. Are you guys interested in partnering with it? So. Interesting. And I'm curious to know at this point in what's going on and everything in the market, how many deals, I mean, I don't need an exact number, but how many deals do you guys have to sift through typically 
till you get one under contract or till one closes? Yeah, you know, I, I wish I tracked that a little bit more. It's a bunch. I mean, it's, lot, it's right? yeah, it's a lot. I don't know if it's 100. I don't know if it's 50. You know, occasionally, I look at the files in my computer and I just see all these folders of things that I, that I at least was interested enough that I was gathering information on it. It wasn't just eliminating it from my inbox for one reason or another, but yeah, it's dozens and dozens probably, but it's weird. Sometimes they come back to back and then there'll be a year and a half. I mean, we went like a year and a half or something without buying anything. So it, sometimes it seems to be a little feast or famine. Yeah, you know, definitely. And I feel like for right now, it's mostly famine for. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. I mean, it's hard, it's hard to get stuff to pencil. Right. And I'm curious um, with the whole COVID-19 and everything going on and everything in the market, what, like, have you changed anything in the way you underwrite a deal or the way you look at a deal now? Or was it always kind of the same since, you know, when you started in 2016 and it's just, hey, if something pencils out, it pencils out. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Um, a lot of the underwriting changes had to do specifically with lending as COVID happened because there was a lot of reserves that were starting to be required. So you had to you had to account for that stuff a little bit more early. Uh, generally speaking, we're looking a lot more at the walk-in financial analysis. So, you know, if, if we bought this today and we really did nothing, you know, what does it look like? We, we certainly want it to be cash flowing, but, uh, um, and then a little bit more attention to uh, operating capital and on-hand reserves, just making sure we got enough capital lying around for, you know, dips in occupancy or, or, or even just, you know, whether or not people decide to pay. Overall, we got out of COVID really well. It just got a little muddy and weird and people did take longer to pay and then resources came in and people got caught up. So it was it was a, a lot more all hands on deck, you know, getting the, the business, you know, run properly. But generally speaking, it, it wasn't too bad in real numbers. If you just looked at it on a spreadsheet, you'd be like, oh, that was a pretty good year. Right, right. Interesting. So nobody would know that like there was a world. Pandemic. Yeah, you know, in 10 years, hopefully we'll look back and be like, wow, that was, you know, it certainly wasn't like, you know, 2008 type stuff. Right, right. Because I remember like just when, when it was just getting started, I mean, everyone was petrified. Nobody knew what to expect. You know, a lot of syndicators were like yeah. withholding um, distributions and, you know, right. they, like let, if someone just got it under contract or, or just had closed on a deal before COVID had started, like they were panicking, like they didn't have those extra reserves and they didn't know, like, is the world falling apart now? Like, I mean, I guess if that happened, they would have bigger problems too, but everyone right. is panicking. And I think mostly the, the multifamily world has feared pretty well over, over um, the, the whole COVID you know, story and over the past year and a half. So yeah, I mean, we closed a deal on like March 19th of 2020, you know, just before all the reserves and stuff started happening. But yeah, it was like, well, the escrow companies aren't operating. I mean, it was like things weren't going to be closing for things that you would never think of. Like there's just nobody in the office because they've shut down. It's like, okay, I don't know if that's in the contract anywhere. How, how do we deal with that? So there was a lot of just people being reasonable and like, yeah, let's just, you know, let's work together. None of this is 
you know, nobody breached for anything that they did uh, out of dishonesty or anything. It's like, this is, you know, something fell out of the sky and we all have to deal with it. Right. And the good thing is also like, it's not just for you and your market and your property. Like everyone understood the lenders understood the brokers understood the seller understood like everyone understood everyone was going through the exact same thing so it wasn't as if you had this like explaining to do like hey there's this thing called covid going on right i'm not gonna be able to travel so easily or because or this or that it's like everyone knows everyone's in the same boat so i feel like everyone did work together there were a a lot of like information and resources out there in the real estate world and I, i think that really like help benefit everyone and helped everyone like get out on top. So I think that was pretty amazing. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you're on a cruise ship and all of a sudden you start getting into some rocky seas, everybody starts, you know, like, Oh, there's the, there's the lifeboat right there. You know, you start just paying more attention to the things that you may need in order to, to get through the situation. There was a lot of that going on. Exactly. Okay. I want to ask you one more question before we get into the uh, final four. Um, in your bio, it mentions that you also flip homes. Um, is that something that you're like on the side, a little house flipping, or is that like half of your business? Like, how does that, how are you balancing like the multifamily rental part and then the fixing and flipping? Cause it's a very different business. And I'm just curious, like how you're balancing everything. Yeah. Uh, a lot of that, a lot of that comes from uh, my partner, Darren, that's, how he first got into real estate was flipping houses and he kind of transitioned to multifamily since we're both in this full time. I mean, it's good when it works properly, you know, you get decent transactional income. So in real numbers, we're not doing a a, a ton of flips. You know, if we do four or five a year, um, then that's a pretty good year for us. And we do try and stick with, with higher margin deals. And just in Tennessee here, it's, it's still a fairly affordable place to, to do that. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a part of our business that uh, helps keep the financial wheels greased a little bit as we tr- you know, continue to build up cash flow on the multifamily side. And it's kind of interesting and fun. Um, you know, since, uh, Darren's down there in Knoxville, I'm up here in Johnson city. It also gives us an opportunity to work in a couple of markets. So we might as well spread our skill set out and, and, uh, be opportunistic when we can. No. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I, and I feel like, you know, most investors like have to their first, I don't know, five, 10 years in real estate, like they're going to have to do a nice amount of active and passive investing if they really want to reach their you know, passive income goals. And but we had a hiccup with that too. I mean, we had, we had a historic flip and it was pain in the neck and it basically, you know, we ended up just kind of breaking even on it, but chewed up a bunch of time, chewed up a bunch of resources. And now we have a few more things on our checklist when it comes to buying flips that we no longer do. <laughs> and and you got an education from that deal and you didn't lose money. So I look at that as like a win-win. Obviously, like it would have been great if you made money on it too, but like not losing money and learning a ton, I'll take that. Right, exactly. Right. Anyways, moving on to the the final four. What is your why? Why are you doing all this? Uh yeah, it came up earlier a little bit. Just just the optionality uh of being financially free and saying, Hey, you know, we moved from Alaska down here to Tennessee is we're kind of joining renters nation is 
you know, maybe we'll move again in another year or two. And, uh, you know, going back to raising a family on a W-2 income, you know, very middle class, there's, there's some financial stress that goes along with that. If I can alleviate the potential of that for, for my kids and, and possibly, you know, some other generations that might, cut, that might come after them, I'm all for that because, uh, uh, you know, the less anxiety to have in life, generally the better it is. Understood. Got it. All right. And, uh, what is your favorite book? Uh, I recently read thinking in bets, which is Annie Duke. Sometimes I screw up her name. Um, she's, what is it called? Thinking it's in called bets. thinking in bets. Okay. What's, what's Annie that? Duke was a world-class uh, poker player, but she also has uh, doctorate level knowledge in psychology. So it's a book about just making better decisions um, and, or how to make better decisions or just about decision-making in general. Uh, it's one I highlighted the heck out of, and it's going to be one of those that you just kind of, pick up and just read the highlights every now and then to, to remind yourself of maybe some best practices. Yeah. It's a good read. That, that's great. I'm, I'm definitely going to check that out. Sounds interesting. And it's a little off the beaten path. It's not rich dad, poor dad, or think of we're rich. So <laughs> yeah, but it's kind of, you know, we're making decisions all the time. Right. Right. Uh, so. Um, all right. What, what advice would you give somebody that's looking to get started in real estate? Uh, it goes back to just getting active in it and networking and just getting out of your comfort zone. And, uh, you know, if uh, at some point I was the, the inexperienced guy in the room and everybody's going to go through that. And um, the, the way you get over at it, that is to get more experience. And there's really only you know, a few ways to do that. You, you actively pursue what your, what your, what your goal is. So yeah, don't, don't, don't dance around. Don't be a wallflower, get in, get involved, uh, talk to people. And I think that's like, you know, real estate education has a lot of heuristics and rules of thumbs and things like that. But ultimately you're, you end up buying a single property on a single or maybe multiple property tax in a one market. And it gets very deal specific quickly. I mean, talk to people that are in their first year, like, wow, this is, you know, this is really what it's all about now. So the more you can talk to people that have operated, uh, that can turn some of that general knowledge into specific knowledge. That's, that's useful. Right. Right. And, you know, I, I've kind of felt that way before I, um, bought my first rental in Pennsylvania. Um, I was reading and I was listening to podcasts a lot but it's really not the same. Like you can, you can technically understand a lot about the business just from that stuff. But then when you're actually submitting an LOI, getting something under contract, going through due diligence and like you know, work, you're working with a tenant, like it's, it's a whole different story. And you just can't get that from reading books. There's just so many like little nuances that you can't get from books, can't get from podcasts, can't get from anywhere. So yeah, I, I definitely agree. Like just it's, it's getting it done, getting some real estate done, some real live experience. Yeah, it's a, you know, there's that analogy. You can't go to a seminar to learn how to ride a bike. Right. At, some, at some point, you just got to get on the bike. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> same thing. Same thing applies right here. Um, okay, what is what's your favorite hobby? Uh, just hiking. 
just getting out. We, we do a lot of hiking in the area. So um, fortunately we moved down to the, the kind of the Blue Ridge mountains around here and there's ample opportunity to get out and just kind of get out into nature. So yeah, weekends, we, we, we get out, do some hiking. And we also try and reserve a lot of the weekend for just, it's when I get a lot of my reading done. You know, I, I enjoy reading for, for sake of reading. So that, I guess that would be a close second. If the weather's not hikeable, we're probably reading. Okay. Pretty good alternative right there. And interesting is like, I think on my hobby list, I have hiking deer too. But the sad reality is that I, I pretty much go like on average once a year. So I don't know <laughs> hobby, but in my head, in my head, I'm a hiker and in my head, I want to go more often. It just, for some reason, it never plays out. Like I just never end up going, but I am a hiker just so you know. <laughs> I did just buy a longboard. So I'm 50 years old and I just bought a longboard. And so far right. I, I am, all my limbs are still connected, but uh, we'll see how that goes over exactly. the long term. All right. So next time we connect on a podcast, I'll ask you about that hobby. But for now, for now, it's hiking, hiking and reading. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Greg, thank you very much for joining. One more question, actually, before I let you go. Um, How can people contact you? Yeah, the best spot is uh, realwealth.solutions. And that's that's our our webpage for for everything we're up to. So you can see what we're working on deal wise. Uh, you know, there's podcast links there. I, I believe our meetup links there. Sometimes we're online, sometimes we're in person. But that's I would say realwealth.solutions is is the best hub for uh, seeing what we're up to and actually just reaching out to me directly. All right, sounds good. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate you coming on the show. This was a great conversation and uh, looking forward to staying in touch with you. Yeah, you're welcome, Penny. I'm glad we finally figured out how to get our, our calendars coordinated, but that's that's part of this <laughs> <What> business. <laughs> Not easy. All yeah. right, we got it done now. That's the main thing. So, All right. Yeah, appreciate the opportunity, man. Take care. Thanks.